What's up, Wildside Besties and Baddies? I'm Bailey. And I'm Chelsea. And we're here to walk you through the wild sides. From homicides to hostides and everything in between. We're so glad you're here, so buckle up and enjoy the ride. Leave on. Leave on. Leave on. Is money. money. I've been having that song stuck in my head for like eight days straight. I think it's my favorite Elton John song. Do you remember? Do you remember when we went to see Elton John in Vegas? Do you do you I, have that memory? Yes. Anyone? It was a stepping stone in my life. Do you remember when we both turned to face each other and we both had real tears in our eyes? <laughs> <laughs> like Elton John walks out on stage. So he was like, just perfection. He was so beautiful. He was majestic. So I feel like pre-Elton John concert Chelsea was like, you women are ridiculous. When I would watch those videos of the women oh, who were like, like Elvis scratching. or the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, like Elvis or the Beatles. And you'd see these women who were up on the front row and they were just like, ah, and they were like scratching, scratching their, their faces face off, off and they were crying yeah. their makeup off. And then that moment when we turned to face each other, I think it was like both of us were making sure that each other was also crying. And then yeah. to our surprise, we were both trying. And I just remember being so overwhelmed with just joy I mean, and yeah. ecstasy. He started playing that piano. And I was like, my whole childhood. I love, I love you, you so Elton. much, Elton. Yeah. Um, well, and it also, I, it was also like, it also ruined us, right? Because do you remember like the whole theme of that show was like blow up penises and boobies? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It was like Pamela Anderson strip tease, <sighs> like personal strip tease caught on film. Um, and I was so, like, Elton, what mm-hmm. are you doing? Mm-hmm. It was like that time, I felt the same way that time that I thought my, I thought that Grandma Janie um, was in a drug deal. Excuse me? <laughs> Did I ever tell you Come on, say what? Oh, well, we lived in Amarillo, and it was Daniel, you know, my, like, my group, mm-hmm. my group mm-hmm. of people, and mm-hmm. um, he was like, hey, I gotta stop my brother's house, and his brother, like, no offense, Raphael, but his brother lived in, like, the ghetto part of Amarillo. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Go stop by Raphael's house real quick and pick something up." And like, I'm pretty sure a lot of those people in that area like did drugs and like they partied real hard. We'll just leave it at mm-hmm. that, right? Yeah. And so we got there, and Daniel was like, "Just come inside, say hey real quick." And so I open, I crack the door, and I saw Grandma Janie sitting <laughs> at Raphael's <Ooh>. house. <laughs> Grandma. <laughs> Like our 69-year-old, like, sweet little grandma sitting in the chair in the middle of this room. And my first thought, if if you guys don't understand how my brain thinks, my literal first thought was, Grandma? Because I thought she was doing drugs or I thought she was dealing drugs. <laughs> like, why would she be in a trap house? 
in the bad part of the Amarillo <laughs> and come to find <laughs> and come to find out it was my fucking surprise birthday party. <laughs> You, I think I? I think you were living in like Midland or wherever oh, you were. I think you were like crap. married and stuff. But it was my mm. surprise birthday that like Christian and Daniel and Amanda threw for me at Raphael's house. <laughs> and we're talking like one TV, like no couch, like looking trap house. And Germancini was the first person I saw. I thought she was dealing drugs. <laughs> And then I got in there and started crying because I was so happy that she wasn't like on drugs or dealing drugs. Oh no! You have the best. You have really the best friends, though. Like I'm no. always, I'm, I'm totes jelly over how good your friends are. I have, I have good friends too. I really do. Um, but like I've never, I've never received a surprise birthday party at a trap house. Oh so. wow! And it was like that time that I took christian to the ugk crime mob concert in midland odessa texas <laughs> and christian is hispanic she's my best friend and i was literally the only white person at this concert and i remember like shoving past all these people and i was just like move over because i'm about to sing along with diamond and princess you know I think it's one of those you're like, I think you're born with it. I think that it's the same reason why every time any form of like Eminem or Snoop Dogg or Outkast comes on and I just get giddy and my, you know, nephews and my kids are just like, como say what? Mm -hmm. um, but I did have a friend last night who posted a thing on Facebook and she was like, I know that I'm a great mom. And I was like, oh, okay, nice lead off. Like, where are we going with this? And she said, I just walked in my house and I said, I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. To which her kids replied, ooh, ooh, ooh. And then she hashtagged it, I am for real. And so I was like, oh, snap. I wonder if I did that, if my kids would respond the same way. So I walked into Ensley's room last night and I said, hey, Ensley. And she said, yeah. And I said, I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. And she said, ooh, 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 I am for real. Ooh, good I know. Job. I was really excited. And so I, I messaged her back and I was like, you're right. It does warm a mama's heart to know yeah. that they know. 1999. 2000. I mean that was I our jam man I can't wait until the baby grows up Zach and I joke all the time that we cannot wait to like roll up and pick her up from school with the most mm -hmm. 2000s mm -hmm. Nelly Ludacris mm -hmm. Chingy mm -hmm. music oh yeah I that song I need a dime. That's top That's of the line. line. Cute face, little waist with a big line. And I was like, Bailey, this is your song. I always think of you anytime I think of that song. So, yeah. What do you have for us today, Bailey? Is it anything good? Is it really good? Is it kind of good? I think it's really good. Be super excited about this. 
I think it's really good. And what's so weird is Ludacris comes up in this. Ooh. I know. So it's weird that we're talking about oh, our childhood. Luda, let me tell you what. If you ever hear this. I love him. You are so loved. Mm-hmm. Please, please be on our show. Somebody has to be friends with a cousin of a sister of Ludacris and you have to tell them or record Luda and let us not like don't copyright it just let us have it on the podcast so anytime something drops we can go Luda please 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 do an interview with us Ludacris please I just want to listen to you talk so this story okay is going to tie in it's like two pieces Mm -hmm. that I'm molding into like one story you're okay. melding. Mm-hmm. Is it not molding? I think it is, but I think melding is when you heat metals up and put them together. Don't quote me on any of that. But I obviously I'm melding into. Yeah. No, I think you're. I think you're molding, but it's fine. Yeah. Well, we're meld molding two concepts into one, and I'm gonna take you guys through a journey. Of the world's soft underbelly. Soft underbelly? Yep. Soft white underbelly. Soft white. Okay. So it's going to have like a micro component and a macro component. Okay. And it's going to be like wild crazy. Okay. Are you ready for Are, are you, you ready, ready for, for this? I'm ready. I'm just looking up the definition of milled. I think I'm right. Okay. It's hard, it's hard being right. Oh, it weighs so much on me. So I have yeah. tension in my shoulders from carrying all this rightness around. That's right. We are going to start with one gentleman, and we're going to end with the same guy. Okay. But you're going to look at this totally differently mm. at the end. All right. So Ryan Terrell Singleton Brewster was born January 22nd, 1989, and he grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. And I put, why do I immediately think of Ludacris every time I hear the word Atlanta? And that's how Ludacris fits into this. Yeah, because he's the best. See, I always specifically think of Benoit. He talks about that in that. Oh man, that song that you introduced me to a handful of years ago. That mm-hmm. if it's all right, I wanna kick it with you all night. Mm-hmm. So Ryan was fun-loving, vivacious young man with big dreams of breaking into the industry and becoming a model. Ryan had a group of, I love this so much, he had a group of best friends that called themselves the Black Entourage, named themselves after their favorite show's Entourage, right? Mm -hmm. And all shared the same big dreams as Ryan. Very cool. So in 2010, at just 21 years old, Ryan and his friends left Georgia and headed to New York to pursue their dreams. Okay. According to an article by Regina Graham, Ryan's mother, Iris Flowers... Okay, is that not the best name ever? Yeah, hello. Hello. That's great. So his mama, Iris Flowers, shared, I'm so glad that he did go. He took the courage and he went. He was brave. Ryan was never afraid of anything. He was never afraid. Most things he tried, he mastered. Lucky. Lucky. Go on with your bad self, Ryan. I think we've all heard how difficult these industries can be to break into, right? Modeling, Mm -hmm. acting, you know, hand modeling or or whatever it is that you want to (laughs) do. It's partially talent, partially luck, and most likely, mostly connections. I was going to say, it's got to be who you know. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, not always, but it's got to be who you know, right? Mm -hmm. Surely. However, Ryan did achieve some luck while he was in New York. He was booked for several modeling gigs and ended up walking in the New York runway fashion show. Go on. Go on. Not long after arriving to New York and working towards his dream, he ended up kind of shifting his focus. He wanted to remain in the industry, but had decided to move to Los Angeles to pursue film production. Unfortunately, this also was kind of fairly short-lived. By December of 2012, just two years after leaving his hometown outside of Atlanta, Ryan found himself moving for a third time in two years and ended up back in New York City. It was there where he ended up marrying his boyfriend, Keith Brewster, who at the time worked as a celebrity stylist. So Ryan was definitely in some form of an inner circle with celebrity status or celebrity-affiliated individuals. Okay. So he was kind of breaking ranks. Unfortunately for Ryan, this relationship was not exactly a positive relationship, according to family and friends. Mm -hmm. It was wrought with issues kind of from the very beginning. So just a few short months after marrying Brewster, Ryan and Brewster separated, which spurred him to return back to his mom's home in Atlanta. Mm, Okay. So it's kind of come full circle at this point. Yeah. Ryan had been home only a few months after separating from Brewster and decided he needed a getaway. So it had been a wild couple of years, right? So from 2010, and this is now close to mid-2013, He's moved three times. He's been kind of all over the country. He's had a arguably a failed relationship. So he just needs to kind of find himself and recenter. Yeah. Yeah. So in July of 2013, Ryan left his home in the Atlanta suburbs, headed to Los Angeles for a short vacation. He had friends in that area because he had lived there previously. So he was going to go see some of his friends. Mm -hmm. His plans were he was going to fly to Los Angeles, and once he got there, he was going to rent a car for a trip to Las Vegas. Okay. So he was going to do kind of like a road trip. Yeah, and Las Vegas is not super far from L.A., I don't think. Yeah. Ryan had rented a car for this trip to Las Vegas, and he drove, and he had to drive through the Mojave Desert. Mm Mm-hmm. So by this point, on July 9th, 2013, his car broke down near Baker, California, as he was driving through the Mojave Desert. Okay. Did I ever tell you about the time that we drove through the Mojave Desert? I was literally just thinking, didn't you, like, have a flat or something in the Mojave Desert? Like, no, I was with, I was with Ben and David, um, two of my buddies, Ben and David, and we drove out to Cali from Texas. And then on the way, because we had to pick up his stupid, no offense, David, his shitty RX-7. I'm mm-hmm. sure it's a really great car. And so we were driving through the desert midday. And so his like engine wouldn't burn or whatever, overheat. He had to turn the, the heat on. And so we, were driving oh. the, uh, so we're driving through the Mojave Desert in midday in the summertime mm-hmm. with the heat on. And we get back. And David had silver dollar-sized blisters all over his feet and shoulders. From the heat? Yes. Oh, my gosh. And then we had the, like, the T-tops off, and so I got super sunburned, and I had blisters on my shoulders. It was oh. a whole mess. 
Yeah, that that whole I remember that trip being just kind of a dumpster fire of a trip for you guys. So as I said, Ryan was driving through the Mojave Desert and on July 9th, 9th, 2013, his car broke down. Around 2 p.m., Ryan was seen walking on the highway by two highway patrol officers. The officers stop and offer Ryan assistance, and in that conversation, they learned that his car had broken down and he had just started walking to find the nearest gas station or some help. So when the officers picked him up, he said, you know, my car's just a couple of miles that way. And they went to try to find his car based off of where he thought he left it, but they weren't able to. So the highway patrol officers drove Ryan to the nearest gas station or the rest stop in Baker. Once there, Ryan called his friend in L.A. to see if his friend could come and help him. And he also called his mother, so Miss Flowers, asking her if she could send him his emergency $100, if she could send it Western Union so he could have some extra cash. Okay. Iris never got a call back from Ryan and when his friend arrived to pick him up, Ryan was gone. Apparently, after Ryan made the calls to his friend and his mother, he went inside the store, bought several items, and then exited the store. And that was the last time anyone ever saw Ryan alive. What? Since Ryan appeared to have vanished into thin air, this friend ended up filing a missing persons report. So they drive in, they go to this gas station where he said he was, He's not there. He's nowhere to be found. So they end up filing a missing persons report. Okay. So the following day, and now this is July 10th, Iris, Mama Iris, received a call from a detective in Baker, Baker, California, stating that there had been a missing persons report filed and that Ryan was missing. So she talked to him sometime in the, in the late afternoon on the 9th. The yeah. next day, she gets a call from this detective saying that there's been a missing persons report filed for Ryan. Okay. This detective told her that Ryan's car had run out of gas. He had been picked up by two officers and dropped off at that convenience store, but there were no further clues or information regarding the whereabouts of Ryan. Why, why are the police officers dropping him off at a convenience store? Where else would they take him? I don't know. To the, like, to the police station? Well, he might have just been like, you can just take me to the nearest gas station. We also have to remember that this is highway patrol and they can't take you over state lines. Mm, yeah, so I don't true. know how far Baker is from like the Nevada state line, but they can't take him over state lines. I don't think unless they like arrest, detained him and then they probably right. take him into booking or whatever that they do. Okay. Weird. So later that same day, the next, so the next day, the 10th, later that day... The car that Ryan had rented was found. It was further away than Ryan had told the officers, guessing that he must have just walked further than he thought he did by the time that the highway patrol officers had picked him up. Fair. I think that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. So what's frustrating is that even though Ryan's car was found, there were no clues to indicate his whereabouts. There was nothing. Nothing. There was no blood. There was no damage to the vehicle. There was just nothing at all. They don't have any video surveillance in the gas station? Not that was reported. Okay. Days turned into weeks, and there were no sightings of Ryan, and there was no activity on his accounts. There was nothing. 
there wouldn't be any answers for nearly two months. But then here comes the wild. 74 days after Ryan vanished. So on September 21st, 2013, some joggers made a startling discovery. Can I just say real quick, who, who is jogging in the Mojave Desert? In the Mojave Desert? You know, they're probably in their off season of their triathlonic workouts. I bet you they had like the oxygen reducing mask and like a freaking, you know, weighted vest on as well. They like wrapped themselves in saran wrap and everything. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. And they drink kale sweat on the weekends. You know, like, I don't know. <laughs> I wrote. Good for them, though. Like, yeah, I mean, seriously, no no hater here. I'm all, no. I'm all for it. I'm jelly. I'm just, I just put, you know, who's jogging in the Mojave Desert? And I put that's cap. <laughs> no, they are, man. They are. So what these joggers found appeared to be a badly decomposed body decomposed remains of a human body on an unpaved road a little under two miles from the gas station where ryan was last seen can i also just say that i don't know when it started i think it started there was a really creepy road speaking of amarillo that went from it was kind of a point a to point b going to grandma janey's house and it was i can't remember the road's name it was like slayer road or something do you know what i'm talking about oh i know exactly what you're talking about yes and every time i drove down that road part of me was like i'm gonna find a body here every single time i was just like yeah every time i drove down that road, i was like there is a serial killer in my proximity there is like i will find a body right here every time every time i drove down that road so i don't know but not all roads give me that vibe but that road for sure totally gave me there's a body dumped here vibe for sure. Okay, so as I'm sure we can all guess, this would end up being identified as the remains of Ryan Singleton. But why? And it was like less, you said a little over, less than right around two miles from that gas station. Yeah. And like two months later, it gets weirder. <sighs> okay. okay. What's wild is that Ryan's body was found in an area that had already previously been extensively searched by detectives and investigators. That was literally what I was thinking in my head is like, how do you miss this? Were they not doing just like an extensive search in the radius? It sounds like they were. And then all of a sudden, here he is. Yeah. This just adds to the mind-blowing mystery of this case and what happened to Ryan. Soon after the discovery of Ryan's body... Mama Iris received the heartbreaking phone call about her son's body being discovered by local authorities. Okay. She was notified, and Ryan's remains were being taken to the San Bernardino County Coroner's Office, where an autopsy was going to be conducted. Okay. The coroner had listed Ryan's cause of death as undetermined due to, quote, advanced decomposition. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was also kind of wondering that. This is where the wildest piece of this case comes in. Not long after the discovery of Ryan's body and autopsy, Mama Iris was told that Ryan's body had been found missing 
almost all of his organs. Hmm. His lungs, liver, eyes, kidneys, heart, and some of his ribs were gone. I mean, okay. I don't know. I mean, wild animals. I mean, I think they would go after the vital parts first. Mm -hmm. I have a feeling that it's not. I have a feeling that it's not a coyote. I have a feeling that it's a man that dresses in a skin suit. But we also have to, so we're putting all this stuff together. Like, I mean, that's, that's a fair point, right? But the first time that I read this report, I was like, that's Cap. Someone took his organs. First, first thing I thought. And so why, so how are wild animals going to, like, did he get drug off somewhere and then drug back by wild animals to a spot? You know, Bailey, I don't know. I, I just, that was, I just am hoping that it's, I'm always hoping that it's wild animals. Yeah. The autopsy report stated that his head had missing flesh down to the bone on the right side secondary to animal activity which was also listed as the reason for the loss of his eyes and other missing organs so they're saying it's animals they're saying it's animals see bailey i'm not that far off the radar i think about i think like normal yeah functioning law enforcement people bell-shaped curve yeah yeah bell-shaped curve the San Bernardino Sheriff's Office shared that the body was severely decomposed. Animals might have been involved. Mm -hmm. In an article by Hyatt Muhammad, Mama Flowers, however, wasn't buying the idea that animals are responsible for her son's missing organs. Okay. She said, I don't know of an animal that comes to a body and just picks out certain parts of the body. Uh. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was animal activity at all, she said. She believes that Ryan was murdered and his organs were stolen and sold on the black market. I mean, she might be onto something. That allegation, which has also been promoted in some stories concerning his death, parallels unproven reports circulating online about people being turned into fodder for an organ transplant black market. Mm -hmm. So is this organ harvesting theory too wild to be real? <sighs> I mean, is it that wild? So a good-looking dude that's in shape, takes care of his body, was stranded in the desert between two major cities, if you will. I mean, I don't think it's too wild. I mean, okay. No, it's not too wild. But, of course, I'm like... Who, who, how do you get that job? Like, is that an Indeed.com search? Do you go to Indeed.com and it's like, oh, newly posted organ harvester in your area paying no. upwards of $200,000. Like, how do you get involved in this stuff? I don't know. I'm sure it's who you know. You, you, I'm sure you just kind of. It's kind of like a modeling career. It's who you know. Yeah. Ugh. The professionals that were consulted with. In this case, however, they, they don't agree with the whole organ harvesting thing. In an article by Christina Corbin, Nancy Shepper Hughes, a medical anthropologist and professor at the University of California, Berkeley, said it is, quote, highly unlikely that Ryan was killed, <clears throat> excuse me, that Ryan was killed for the purpose of harvesting his organs on the underground market. 
she said there's a lot of easier ways to get the tissue. And just for some credibility, Nancy Shepard Hughes, she founded Organs Watch in 1999 along with some other professors. And it's an organization that investigates the illegal trafficking of human organs worldwide. So it's not like mm. she's just some kind of average Joe, you know, yeah, stinging with her. an opinion. Yeah. Right. Shepard Hughes, her probe into international organ sellers, she, it's based in New York, New Jersey, and Israel. And her work has led to several arrests by the FBI in 2009. That's cool. So after hearing of this case, I naturally had to dive into the world of human organ trafficking mm. to use that lens on this case. Just so you know, I am sure that the FBI is watching me. Because can you imagine the stuff that I have searched on my computer? Yeah. Yeah, you you're know? definitely going to get some, like... I'm going to get flagged. Yeah. Did I tell you the time <laughs> that Nancy, my my therapist friend Nancy, um, got raided by the FBI? No. Because she was a professor. She was a substance abuse professor, and she was teaching her students, like, what the process goes into, like, making methamphetamine so they're aware. And... The FBI literally like raided her house and her computer. No. She's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm a professor. I'm doing, I'm doing an educational thing with my students who are, you know, specializing in addiction. No. And she said, like, everybody kind of, yeah, everybody kind of laughed about it later, like even the FBI dudes, but she was like, oh, for sure. They're watching. Well, it's kind of like that time we were driving Inslee up to this really awesome camp up in the mountains of New Mexico. And as we're driving, we see this storm off in the distance, but it's coming pretty quick, right? And and it's in the area of New Mexico where it's like you can see for a really long time, right? Kind of in the plains. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden it's kind of on us. And the kids are like, do you think this hail and wind could bust out a window? And I was like, no, oh, I remember that. Absolutely not. Well, literally, as I'm saying, absolutely not. It busts out the driver's side that. back door window, right? In our Pathfinder. So we're not very far. We like kind of pull over, let the storm kind of pass. It's pretty quick. And we pull over, um, let that pass. Then we get into the next town. And I was like, Lucas, we need to go into like a Dollar General, right? Family Dollar type of thing and get some stuff just to patch up that window until we can get back home. Uh -huh. And as we're standing in line with our rope, our duct tape, and our shower curtain, I was like, mm. don't you know that these people are looking at us and they're like, they're hiding a body. Yeah. They are about to wrap up a body. And I, I think I truly told somebody like, just so everybody knows we're like i'm, I'm not, not hiding, hiding a body. body i know this looks super sus we're literally just taping up and fixing, fixing our, our broken window yeah but yeah i mean it can be a little deceiving right you know internet searches and what you buy at the dollar mm -hmm. general it can look a little weird look a little sus so like i said i'm just gonna take a like a really short detour because i'm too much of a nerd to not like educate on organ trafficking mm -hmm. When I have a chance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm here for it. So according to an article by Thomas Marshall, over 140,000 organ transplants are performed each year worldwide, which is really only, that's only 10% of the global need oh. for transplantable organs. Dang. 
So what happens when the demand for viable organs outnumbers the actual supply? I mean, people probably get a little desperate, right? Yep. A black market business booms underground, giving opportunities for criminal organizations. According to the World Health Organization's estimates from 2007, 5 to 10% of all organ transplants are performed using illegally sourced organs. Shut up. Shut your mouth. And that was in 2007. And we've had a lot of advancements in like technology and communication yep. since then. The actual extent of illegal organ transplants is, however, hard to ascertain because this type of criminality remains illegal and typically remains unreported. I mean, I mean right. Right. Trafficking in human beings for the purpose of organ removal, also known as the acronym THBOR, THBOR. THBOR. THBOR? Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's how you, it's like probably like THBOR. I don't know. So it's a new and neglected form of human trafficking about which limited knowledge and awareness exists. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people know about like sexual trafficking. Right. But not a lot of people talk about organ harvesting and trafficking. I mean, right? yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of, sin oh, that's like really sinister. Yeah. And so according to the International Society for Human Rights, organ harvesting happens literally all over the world. But some of the big places is China, India, and the Sinai Peninsula. Mm -hmm. Okay. But the United States is not immune from this. Mm -hmm. Juan Gonzalez, um, Ignacio Garijo, and Alfonso Sanchez share in their article, Organ Trafficking and Migration, a bibliometric analysis of an untold story. They share that with a shortage of legally sourced organs around the world, it is estimated that the illegal trade of human organs generates about $1.5 billion each year from roughly 12,000 illegal transplants. Golly. And so just to talk about this whole like organ harvesting, like how, I guess, um, conspiracy theorists it can sound mm -hmm. until you actually start digging into mm -hmm. it. So there have been two major cases, and I'm going to touch on those. The Medicus Clinic in 2003 and the NetCare case in 2005. Okay. So a BBC article... The Medicus Clinic case in 2003 is where it was a clinic in Kosovo recruited poor people from across Eastern Europe and Central Asia, promising them 15,000 euros for their organs. Come to find out, five professionals in this clinic were found guilty in connection with a human organ trafficking ring selling these organs on the black market for triple the price. So they would pay these poor individuals to come in. They'd give them 15,000 euros for their organs, and they would sell it for triple the price in the black market. Now, would these individuals go in and have, like, a kidney removed, and they would obviously live and get the 15,000 euros? Or was it like, you're going to get 15,000 euros, you're going to die, but we'll give the money to your family? Like, do we, do we know? They would usually live. Okay. But sometimes they would die from infections and complications okay. and that kind of okay. thing. Okay. But it was the intent yeah. of like, you will survive, quote unquote, the surgery and you'll be 15,000 euros richer. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. According to an article by Pat Sidney, the net care case in South Africa. Can we just talk about how wild South Africa is? I, yes. I would love for you to talk about how wild South Africa is. 
all of the research that I do for this podcast, it's like it's probably like 25%. And I'm talking about like worldwide cases. Mm-hmm. South Africa is the they need to calm down. Like y'all need to yeah. y'all need to get y'all need to recenter the chi chill calm down. Dude, something. What what are y'all doing? Align your chakras. What are y'all doing yeah. down there? So the net care case is in South Africa from 2005, and it was where these groups of private hospitals, and again, a ring of doctors that were found to be engaging in organ trafficking. The kidneys were mostly from Brazilian donors. The admission of guilt related to 109 illegal kidney transplant operations that took place between June of 2001 and November of 2003. So 109 kidney transplants illegal in the span of, what, a year? Um, excuse me, two years. The scheme involved Israeli citizens in need of, a ki- of kidney transplants who would be brought to South Africa for transplants and performed at St. Augustine's Hospital. While the kidneys supplied originally came from Israeli citizens, later... Romanian and Brazilian citizens were recruited as their kidneys were obtained at a much lower cost. So the black market stuff or idea isn't always in some dirty underground laboratory right. like in a Hollywood movie. Right, 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 right. There are people who are brought in and paid. They're kidnapped, taken to a place, and it doesn't have to be a grungy like basement. Yeah. Taken to a place, their organs are harvested, and it's like an auto body shop for people and their body parts, y'all. Dude, it's, I think the reason why you don't know a lot about this stuff is honestly, number one, it's hard to research because it's just hard to listen. But I think number two, it's kind of one of those things where naturally people are like, la, 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 I can't hear you. Cause it's just, it's just demented, man. Like, and I think that's one of those. It makes you uneasy to know that this stuff is going on, but at the same time, just because you don't want to know that it's going on, does not mean that it's not going on. You got to be able to. I mean, knowledge is power. The reason I brought that in was just to kind of shine some light on how common this stuff is, even if you don't think it is. Right. Right. Yeah. Or if we're not aware of it, because it happens all the time, mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah. It really, it really does. Yeah. Trafficking in general is just, I don't know. Like, I don't know how long it's been going on. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know the statistics, but I know that it's not going away anytime soon, you know, and you just have to be vigilant. Mm-hmm. Now, I know we keep unpacking this case, but at every turn, the mystery just increases. Here is yet another layer. So according to an article by Brian Myers, Ryan was estranged from his Silas husband, Kyth Brewster, when he disappeared. Mm -hmm. Brewster had called Ryan's mother just before Ryan's disappearance, and he let her know that he had just spoken to Ryan on the phone and he appeared to be intoxicated and that Ryan's life could be in danger. Weird. Right? Eerie. Yeah. But a different bizarre interaction that Ryan had with his mother around the same time. According to Mama Iris, the last time that she saw Ryan alive before he left for California that July in 2013, 
She said he was worried that something bad was going to happen. According to an article by Chris Jazarek, Mama Iris was haunted by a conversation she had with Ryan before he left for L.A. She said Ryan asked her, something bad is going to happen to me, isn't it? And Mama Iris asked him what he was talking about and asked if he owed someone money, to which he said no. Instead, he responded with, I've done a lot of things to hurt a lot of people. Okay. So Mama Iris said that she never understood what exactly her son was talking about, but she felt like maybe Ryan felt some type of way because he left the production team, he married Brewster, it didn't work out, and he he ended up back at home. She said that she knew that Ryan had hurt her by disappearing and not communicating with her, but she said outside of that, anybody outside of that, she couldn't figure out who it would be. Right. And it was just two days after this conversation that Ryan disappeared. Mm. Yikes. Okay. Quick question. How would you, as a mom, how would you respond if your kid was like, you know, something bad's going to happen or I've hurt a lot of people or something like that? Um, I don't know. I don't think you really know until you're in that position. But where my brain is right now is I'm going to be like, baby, listen, you know, mama's listened to way too many true crime podcasts. And every time y'all be making eerie, vague statements like that, you end up disappearing and dying and then nobody knows what's going on. So you need to tell me so that way, like we can actually prevent your death or find your killer if you end up dead. And that sounds really morbid, but hopefully she's at the age where she's like old enough to I can just have frank conversations with her. Okay, but that's kind of the point that I'm getting at. Like, I hate to say it, but I would be the person who was just like, oh, honey, it's okay. We all make mistakes. Rainbows and butterflies. Give me a hug. I'll talk to you later. Like my brain doesn't naturally go to anything sinister, but I hate to say it, but I'm very thankful for this journey of kind of like reading and diving into these cases because I feel like it's kind of helping me, um, not only as a mom, but also I do a lot of mentoring at the high school. And I know we've talked about that, but I, I feel like I'm starting to understand more and more on these quote unquote red flags right? Like what red flags are, what should I be looking for? And when should I be concerned with, yeah, you know, kind of like, Ooh, that's kind of weird. Why, why are we talking about this? So I'm appreciative that we, that we cover cases like this that have these hindsight moments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So without any indications that Ryan had enemies or that he was I don't know, hated enough to be murdered on his random trip to L.A. Mama Flowers still believes that something foul happened to Ryan. She still leans into the theory that his organs were harvested despite ongoing pushback from professionals around this claim. Yeah. One individual opposing this theory is Joseph Scott Morgan, and he's a, uh, an associate professor of forensics at Jacksonville State University. And he evaluated Ryan's autopsy report. Mm. 
As a side note, um, according to an article by A.R. Shaw, uh, Professor Morgan also reviewed Kendrick Johnson's autopsy. Do you remember that case? Kendrick Johnson was the kid from Valdosta, Georgia, who was found wrapped in the gym mat. No, no. So it's been covered in probably every podcast. And he was found in his school. He was like 17. He was found in his school gym wrapped up in a gym mat. And they like, it was ridiculous. Investigators, I think, initially rolled it like an accident. Like he tried to reach in to like grab his shoes or something and then couldn't get out and suffocated or something. That's bizarro. So this was the same okay. dude that was on that case? That review. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And just, again, as a side note, Kendrick's family continues to fight for the FBI to investigate and provide answers. Mm -hmm. But it's been, it's been an uphill battle for, for the Johnson family. So despite these similarities, Professor Morgan compared these organ harvesting theories to the satanic panic in the 80s. Mm -hmm. Okay. In an article by Aruto Garcia, Professor Morgan said, you've got this thread that kind of hooks into people's minds and all of a sudden the focus is taken off of the real pain and suffering that's going on out there relative to where our focus should be. And that's investigating deaths as opposed to searching for some sinister person that's going around out there and har harvesting organs. It just seems so bizarre to me, and it's dangerous. So he's essentially saying, like, this is a dangerous narrative, yeah, right? Because it takes away from, from his opinion, it takes away from uh, more realistic investigative work, right? I mean, I don't, I yeah, I agree with that. Like, it's it is until it isn't, you know, it is until it's one of those weird, you know, one in a million times where it's like, oh crap. This is actually an organ harvesting situation. Like, this is a black market yeah. creepy thing. I, I don't know. Like, I get what he's saying. I do. And I agree with that. Eh. But there's always yeah. that weird 1% chance. Yeah. Professor Morgan uh, rebuked the possibility of illegal organ harvesting while discussing his autopsy with um, a TV station in Atlanta, WXIA-TV, in May of 2017. And... In that interview, he said, if that's going to be a procurement event, first off, you have to have a viable way to source the organs and they would be surgically removed. That means that you would have to have smooth margins that indicates a scalpel has opened the body. There's no indication of that. As a matter of fact, there's little or no tissue that's left on the outside of the body. So, according to this forensic expert who reviewed Ryan's autopsy, he does not believe that organ harvesting is a valid theory. Okay. Mm -hmm. And listen, I am not, I'm not a coroner. I'm not a mortician. I'm not a forensic pathologist or anthropologist or whatever. Um, but in this specific case, I mean, is it possible that Let's say, let's say if we're entertaining this theory, right? If Ryan was kidnapped, his organs were taken, right? His lungs, liver, kidneys, eyes, heart, ribs, okay? If those were taken and then he was dumped, can animals still eat at the open wounds? And so you wouldn't see the surgical markings. I mean, 
Do you get what I'm saying? Absolutely. So I was thinking that, but I was also thinking like if it's that badly decomposed, I mean, I don't think they could even determine the cause of death because the body was so badly decomposed. How would you be able to determine if you had, you know, smooth surgical margins on the remaining tissue? I I don't know. It just seems, I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously he knows something that that we don't, um, but he feels that there's no indications for that. And, and I put, I don't know a lot about like animals and hunting and that kind of thing. I just find it hard to believe that just the organs would be removed. Um, like I understand some organs, you know what I mean? Uh, or like partially removed, right? Like, I don't think it would, I, it, to me, it's not like they're going to, let me make sure I get the entire kidney, you know? I don't know. Right. Like, yeah. It doesn't seem like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, it's weird. Yeah. I, I just, I just feel like if if animals were involved, um, they would have. I mean, two months in a desert, they would have eaten him, his remains, to where there would just like be bones. I, I mean, that's what I would think. I, I that's what I would think. I'm sure we've got these like, you know, death professionals out here like screaming at us oh, in their car. Yeah. But- Hey, and if you are, if you are a death professional, reach out to us. We'd love to interview you. We'd love to have you on the show. Yeah. Let us yeah. know. And let us know. Be like, hey, Bailey, Chelsea, your ignorance is showing. I'm always happy to be educated oh. on anything. I'm, the first, I'm like, please, so. please somebody let me know that my ignorance is showing. I would love to know more about this. Yeah. And the mystery thickens, Okay. In the same article, it was reported that officials at both the California Highway Patrol and the Nevada Highway Patrol both stated that they have no record of any member of their departments having had any interactions with Ryan Singleton on the day he disappeared. Oh, crap. What's even more confusing is officials at the Nevada Highway Patrol stated that their officers would not, oh, there it is, would not drive anyone across state lines as it had been reported in past reports. So there were some reports saying that they, you know, drove him, um, like Nevada Highway Patrol picked him up, dropped him off at the Baker, California gas station. But the the representative from the Nevada Highway Patrol was like, no, we wouldn't do that. Um, When told about this disparity, uh, Morgan said, if there's no record that they took him back that kind of leaves a hole in time there. Mm-hmm. That would meet. That would be something that would be need to looked in. Excuse me, be looked into further by investigators. So okay. I'm just going to try to get some clarity really quick. The car broke down in in California. Yes, Is that correct. I believe so. And, yes, and then he was quote unquote last seen in Baker at a gas station. Yes. Correct. Okay. Yeah. I'm just I'm just making sure yeah. that I have all of my I's dotted and my T's crossed. Yeah. And on another interesting note, in an article by Aruto Garcia, so there's a documentary uh about Ryan called Dying to Be Famous. Mm-hmm. And in the documentary there was a preview for the for the show posted online and it shows a man identified as Bob Wingate private investigator being interviewed in this documentary 
and he's calling Singleton's death a murder, but there is no record of a licensed investigator by that name in Georgia or Nevada. The California Bureau of Security and Investigative Services, which handles licensing for investigators in the state, was unable to verify whether any investigator was registered under that name there. And this is a documentary that you can watch, like, right now. It's on Bounce. Yeah, it's on Bounce TV. Weird. What is going on? I literally wrote, what the heck is going on? What the heck? Clap, clap. Oh, that that old post that alone old video. Post alone video. Yeah. What, what the, the heck? heck? Though the disappearance of Ryan Singleton is still an open case with the San Bernardino Sheriff's Office, it still remains a cold case. With no leads and not much evidence that can be gathered from, again, the, the decomposed body at the time of discovery, law enforcement has no way to move forward. Ryan was laid to rest in Southview Cemetery in Atlanta. His mother said she's unable to afford an attorney and her son's case is still an open death investigation in the state of California. And so the big question here is, was Ryan Singleton the victim of an organ theft ring? Was he the victim of a random abduction and murder? with his body dumped in a hot desert for wild animals to dismember. So is it possible that due to Ryan's sexual orientation, could he have been the victim of a hate crime? The family and friends of Ryan believe one thing for sure, that the 24-year-old did not simply collapse and die in Death Valley. He had to have been taken from that location, then dumped back there later after investigators had already searched that area he didn't just pass out there and was there for two and a half months right because they would have found him and he wouldn't have just shown back up with all of his organs missing so what happened to ryan singleton and how did he end up dead in a desert with his missing organs two months after he went missing with no other evidence whatsoever to go off of. Well, and with all that creepy, in a weird way, like hindsight being what it is, but that creepy foreshadowing, mm-hmm. you know, like, who did he upset? Why did he think something bad was going to happen? I really need people to start keeping journals. I need you to keep a diary, people. I want you to start... I'm going to, that should be your New Year's resolution. I want you to keep a diary. I want you to keep a journal. And that way we can help your family find you or find what happened to you because you write it all in your diary. Dear diary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think something. Or just don't be so secretive. I know. Just let somebody know. Tell somebody all of your secrets you know again diary uh, and like i'm sure there are apps now i'm sure you can do like audio like voice recorded diaries yeah do something anything but it's so interesting to me that our brains went so different like went in such different directions because literally when i read this story i was like 1000% his organs were taken like, this was some 
stranger than fiction because you know sometimes these investigations you know how many times have we heard the wildest cases and we're like there's no way that's real there's no way that this person ended up you know being in this place at this time or or whatever the case is right mm-hmm. and i don't want to sound like this wild conspiracy theorist but i i really don't think that it's that that out there right i think if you want to live in your little denial bubble thinking that stuff like this doesn't happen but i mean kids are literally snatched off their front yards on bicycles with a pedophile who's literally driving through the town that he doesn't live in and they never find you know what i mean well like the what is it the adam walsh case you know they threw some kids out for fighting in the arcade yeah, like outside of that Sears. two months freaking later you know adam's head is found like yeah. sometimes you're just in the, the wrong place at the wrong time i don't know man like i I feel like the more, like the older I get and the more I learn about deviant human behavior, the less I'm surprised in like either way. The less I'm like, okay, I would not be 100% surprised if it was organ harvesting. And I also wouldn't be surprised if it was, you know, this dude was just beat to death and then his body dumped, you know, because it was a hate crime or I don't know. I, but it is, it's really weird. Like nothing is aligning in this case. I feel like it's a dump job either way. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I also hear how, how often do you hear like, you know, we searched extensively and then they found them two years later. I heard of a woman that they found her body a couple of years later. She had gone missing on a hike and they found her body like less than half a mile off of the trail. And they'd been searching for her for two years. Yeah. I don't know. Do we want to say that alien abduct, it's an alien abduction? Alien. Dropped him back down. Oh, no, man. Fire in the sky. Oh, that movie traumatized me when it I was, was four. It was very traumatizing. Like, I'm still fascinated by it, but, um, yeah. So, I don't know, man. I, I, I feel bad for Mama Flowers. And she's still, um, she's got a Facebook page and an Instagram and... They still, from what I what I've seen, they still do like interviews and stuff. And Ryan has a brother who, who's involved, and his friends are, you know, like still kind of trying to be verbal activists, if you will, for for answers in this case because it's just it's just wild. Did they have any interviews with the? I I guess it's ex husband, estranged husband. Like, did they have? There was no thoughts of foul play. There's there. I mean, there's nothing as far as like, you know, attached with any. I mean, from my from my understanding, like he had an alibi. Mm-hmm. And then what about this private investigator? Why is he not registered anywhere? I don't know. Like, how many weird? What are the odds? Can you get in one case? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he, maybe he owed people money. You know, maybe he got into some bad, bad stuff. Maybe 
I just, I think it's, I don't know, man, I think it's so weird. But I mean, that goes back to your point of, you know, maybe they might have missed him on the initial search. Because right. that's a possibility. It really is. Yeah. Um, but I think it's so weird how two months later, he's like, I think it was a mile and a half. It was like between a mile and a half yeah. and two miles from the gas station where he was found. And now you said they also don't think that whoever picked him up was part of the law enforcement. Is that right? Like they don't have any records? They have no records from either California or Nevada Highway Patrol that Ryan was seen or spoken to or given a ride by either state patrol agencies. But the gas station did confirm. Like they, there was somebody who worked at the gas station who was like, "Yeah, we saw this dude." They were the last person. Yeah, it was the last place that he was seen. Did they alive. say what he bought at the gas station? I don't know. They didn't really don't go know. into anything. It wasn't like rope know. and duct tape and a shower curtain. I don't know. That's weird. Yeah. So that is the wild case of. Ryan Terrell Singleton Brewster and the potential involvement of underground black market Oregon harvesting rings. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be processing that case for the next four days. Thank you mm -hmm. for that one. You're welcome. You all welcome. You all welcome. <laughs> All right. Well, as always, we appreciate you guys for hanging out with us and sticking with us through this wild ride. Yeah. And we'll catch you on the flip side. Bye, guys. Hey, Wildside Tribe. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Wildside Podcast. Make sure to tune in on Wildside Wednesdays. New episodes will drop each Wednesday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We would love to hear from you. So if you have a wild case recommendation, email us at wildsidepodcast at gmail.com. That's wildside with a C. Or share your thoughts in the comments below. As always, if you haven't heard it today, you're loved, you're worthy, and you're valuable. And we'll catch you on the, the flip, flip side. side.